with a culture that is uh, riddled with deceit and with our lives that um, at times is struggling to discern what is true and what is not. It seemed fitting tonight to uh, start out with a promise, if you don't mind. Psalm 94 says this, O Lord, God of vengeance. You, You have to almost stop there. Why would the psalmist call God a God of vengeance? Like we've been taught all of our life that God is uh, that God is love, and just that side of it, the psalmist understood another side of the Lord, at least another piece of His character. We should say, "O Lord God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O Judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve." The psalmist writes, "O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult?" They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see me, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, exclamation point, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear does he not hear, the psalmist says. He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke, the psalmist says. He who teaches the man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from the days of trouble, from a pit is dug for the wicked. And please, my friends, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what your thoughts of God are, no matter what you're sitting in right now, would you hear verse 14, for the Lord will not forsake his people. The Lord will not forsake, turn his back on, hate, expand. He will not forsake his people. Amen? And listen, I I want to start out with that promise tonight. You start talking about plagues. You start talking about God's wrath. You start talking about weird, strange things happening in the Bible. And these ten plagues certainly are at one of the top of the list of the strangest. It causes us to wrestle with a deep peace of the Lord's character. So I just want to remind all of you, the Lord does not and will not and will never forsake his people. If you're a child of his, then you are a child of his, period. No person, no matter what they say, no Satan, no matter what he deceives in, no world, no matter the way that they turn and twist, it does not change the truth. He will not forsake his people. So it seems fitting tonight that we pray and thank God for that. Amen? All right? And then we're going to journey. Ten plagues, not all in one night for the love. That would be forever, but... um, But ten plagues. So let's pray. Thank God that he does not forsake us. And because of that, we can study his wrath and understand him tonight in a way that I hope will expound on his character. Uh, Father, um, you have to do a work tonight, God. Without your work, then all of the things that are happening here are empty. Our worship, uh, the words that will be taught, the words that are prayed... I'm praying right now, God, that you would fill this room with the reality of yourself.
And I pray specifically right now, God, for the folks who came in here distant and troubled and angry and frustrated and all of the above, God, I pray tonight that they would sense your love and your mercy. We love you, Father, in your holy and awesome name. Amen. All right, all of you guys should have received the plague chart. Um, If you haven't received one, we have some guys that are going to stand up and, and hand you one. So if you don't have one of these, raise your hand, okay? If you're looking for pens, there's some underneath your seat. Can I get some help here? Tim, you mind helping pass some of these out here? Just raise your hand if you guys need one. We'll get some back to you. Here, Jesse, could you pass them out there over on that side? Thanks. If you need a pen, there's some, uh, like I said, underneath your seat. Do us a favor. At the end of the night, could you uh, not gank that pen and just put it right back underneath your seat for the second service? I know some of you guys are excited. Some of you women are down a pen or two in your purse. Um, Great chance to stock up. You're sending your kids down the aisle to grab like 10 of them. We would advise uh, against that. Everyone have some? We still got some hands back there. My guess is in Sunday school, you didn't fill out a plague chart. Um, My guess is on your refrigerator, there's probably not magnetized something that uh, resembles or goes through all 10 plagues. What we want to do with all 10 of these is answer some questions. Uh, Wrestle with these in a very real, in a humbling way, so that at the end of this journey... Uh, which will, by the way, end on the week of Easter with the Passover, unbelievable timing of God, Um, leave all of us with a sense of what these plagues mean and are. If you're just joining us, what's happened is God has called a man named Moses to redeem his people out of the slave-ridden hands of Egypt. And unfortunately, so far, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, or the leader, has been extremely reluctant to release these slaves that have been burdened for 400 years. And so now God is bringing on a new plan, a new direction, a way to retrieve his people. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. If you have your Bibles, you can leave them open. I'll guide you through the questions as we go along, but feel free to jot in if you feel so led. Let's start in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened He refuses to let the people go. We wrestled with this last week. Pharaoh has a hard heart. He's a pagan, worshiping pagan gods in a God system in Egypt that has a God for just about everything, and we'll see two of those here tonight. So his heart is hard, and Scripture has made reference to God even hardening it. What I shared with you last week is God furthers the hardening of Pharaoh's already hard heart, say that three times, for his own glory. Okay. So the Lord says to Moses, his heart's hard. He refuses to let the people go. So verse 15, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. This is interesting. Pharaoh carries a rhythm much like many of you. I'm sure he's there to grab a drink, maybe take a shower. Some of you guys need to heed this advice. It's been a while. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. And look what he says. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent, delineating it from the other staffs that Moses owned that did not turn into a serpent. I thought that was funny. Um, Can we just celebrate the irony of this moment for a second? Where does God want Moses to go? Where? Denial. If you'll remember, Moses' life began, as it were, on the Nile as well. He was put in the Nile, on the Nile, in a basket by his mother. 
and uh, was retrieved by uh, the Egyptian daughter who then raised him in her household. So the irony here of this meeting now, Moses some 80 years later will wind up on the same river that he was pushed down under God's sovereignty to wind up living for 40 years under the hand of the Egyptians. And so when he gets there, God says, verse 16, and you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But he says, so far, you, being Pharaoh, have not obeyed. Um, I know you've experienced this, but let's just put it out there plainly. There is consequences for disobedience, period. Um, There is grace, amen. God is gracious in our disobedience as children to forgive us our sins. And we can celebrate that and should. However, there are consequences for being disobedient to God. Repercussions, we could say. As you disobey God in God's plan to help you live life to the fullest and being that, not some magnet on a refrigerator, but living life to the fullest by giving Him the most glory as we disobey that, there is and are repercussions, consequences. I shared the example last week. If you tell the kid not to go out in the street and the kid feels like he's not by only going halfway, there are consequences for sitting halfway in the street, right? Not only the potential consequence of being struck by a vehicle, but also the consequence of disobedience. My guess is some of you guys um, have been disobedient both generally to God's word and specifically in your life. And you are still reaping the consequences. Haven't you ever thought to yourself, like, why didn't I just listen? I would have saved myself years worth of shame and regret and remorse. I would have saved myself a tremendous amount of pain and hurt if I just would have listened to God. If I've heard that statement one time, I've heard it a hundred times. If I've said it myself one time, I've said it a hundred. Oh, sitting in the obedience of God is, my friends, the most freeing way to live, right? And so God says, listen, there's consequences. Pharaoh has not obeyed. So it's time to bring the hammer. Verse 17. MC, you guys, good rapper in the... Thus says the Lord, by this, verse 17, you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water uh, that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. Uh, This isn't a kind of gesture, okay? Uh, Cue the map here. This is a NASA satellite image um, that I took earlier today. Um, Now, uh, these lights, this is a NASA satellite image. These lights represent the Nile. Really, really interesting, isn't it? That in Egypt, life clearly is surrounding the Nile River. And, you know, I'm sure you can see this. As it gets darker, that represents not so much life, okay? So when God says to turn the Nile into blood, he's talking about this river that is the very life source for these Egyptians, okay? I took a picture uh, from Google Images that kind of portrays this beautiful Nile river. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And then I had some fun with Photoshop, um, it's not perfect, like some of the sailboats are red, so forgive me. Um, 
and the mountains are too, but forgive me. Uh, and, you know, I, I laugh at this too. But at the same time, could you just stop to imagine for a second a river being the very life source of an entire nation turning into blood? A lot of theories. Maybe you've read up on some of these. Maybe you've read some articles or some things that you have considered great resources on the internet, right? Some people say, well, of course, um, the river turned red because it's the, the clay sediment that's being, you know, worked up and, and God just decided to, you know, work up the clay sediment at the appropriate time. And, um, and that could be true if you didn't believe in the Bible, um, in other words, and I don't mean to say it fr- as frankly as that, but uh, we just we here believe that the Bible is true, that it's inerrant. So if if Moses, um, at least who I believe wrote this, said that God commanded him to use his staff and to turn the water into blood, then then I believe it's not food coloring, right? I, I believe like God didn't like send some angels with some massive food coloring droplets to give the image of blood. I believe that this river turned to blood. Next slide. This will be interesting for you. Um, and I've, I've shaded out a portion of this picture because it, it's a little bit dicey, and I'll explain why. This is hoppy. Everyone say hoppy. Thank you. And those who didn't participate, forget you. Um, just kidding, of course. Hoppy is the god or the goddess, depending on how you look at it, of the Nile. Now, let me point out some things about good old Hoppy, okay? Um, A, he, she has a beard, okay? A soul patch, as it were. Uh, Mine isn't uh, inspired from this, just so you know. Um, Now, uh, Hoppy also has some female characteristics, okay? One of which I've shaded out. And um, I try to find a picture that I didn't have to shade out. Those don't exist. But then the other thing is, uh, how many of you women in here have ever been pregnant? Okay? Awesome. Many of you guys, and, uh, and some of you husbands just found out something, right? Like your husband's, your wife's like, I, you guys can share in that moment. Now, a hoppy uh, bears uh, an impregnated belly, and you may say, well, what do you mean? Like, that doesn't look impregnated. Well, um, this was their interpretation of impregnation, if that's a word. Okay. So, hoppy is the god of the Nile, goddess of the Nile, uh, is bearded. Uh, has female organs, and uh, in this case, is shown as being pregnant. Well, this is just one of the gods of Egypt. So the question is, why does God start with turning the Nile uh, to blood? Well, if you've got a whole nation that is worshiping that, that is impregnated because the images that Hopi gives life to all of those in Egypt, that's the image of the impregnation. Like, out of Hopi comes life for Egypt. And you saw the picture. I mean, the Nile produces life. Then if God does, in fact, turn water into blood, if he changes the entire life source, if he takes this agua and all of a sudden makes it plasma, I what's, what's the Spanish word for blood? Blood-a, okay. Um, Blue-day. Then we can understand why he begins here. So, so let's say it this way. Let's answer a couple questions, okay? So you can begin with your chart here. Answers on the plague chart, okay? 
What was the plague? Okay, all of you guys should be getting this. The first plague, you can fill this in as you go here, is the Nile turns to blood. That's plague number uno, right? Nile turns to blood. The next question is this. Why did, why did God choose that specific plague? Now, there isn't a passage in the scripture that's going to tell us precisely. So I begin this by saying, these are things that I believe in my heart to be true out of study, time in God's word and prayer that God is showing. Remember what he said. I'm going to do these things that everyone in Egypt will what? Remember what he said last week? Will know that I am God. So where does he begin? He begins with the life source of the Egyptians. I'm going to take your life source, I'm going to take this God hoppy, and we're going to see who's boss. So by starting with the Nile, God shows that he is greater than this made-up hoppy, okay? So why does God choose that? Defeat the idea of hoppy, because the Nile is the source of life. So real quick before we move on. I share this as a way of celebration. Last week, the uh, Ecuador team spent some time fasting. Uh, we didn't send it out in a tweet, okay? Again, when you fast, you're supposed to just keep it amongst yourself. But I shared in this moment now as, a, as an opportunity to celebrate. Many of the folks that, had, that are on the team have never, ever fasted before, ever. Never fasted. And so it was awesome. We, we got together. It was a, a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner fast, about a 24-hour close, about 22 and a half. Sitting around in a circle, and I said, all right, so what, what was your experience today? You know, and, and, and everyone starts sharing and talking about having the grumblies and getting weird looks at work because their stomach, you know, was making noises. And, and, but then all of a sudden we started to unearth something beautiful, and that beautiful thing was by fasting a day, by taking food out, it reminds us that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, it's the reminder that God is actually the source of it all. I could die without food and still have God, and I will have lived. So does anyone else think that it's quite pertinent, though it's a little bit nasty, that God would change a uh, river into blood and say right now, he's showing the Egyptians who the source of life is. And I'm just, I just want to take a moment to make sure we give this credence Look, I'm not saying it's a bloody river for you. But I am saying God is in a habit of doing this for you and I, of reminding us, of showing us that he is the source of life. That, listen, there is no other source. Right? There is, there is no other source. There's no other well. Every other well will run dry. And many of you have looked for years, haven't you? Man, you've, I mean, you've tried to sink that thing deeper and deeper. Maybe this time it'll bring up some water. It'll produce some joy. It'll really give me happiness. And what do you continue to find out? Every time you wheel that thing up, empty again. Why? Because there's only one source of life, period. It is the Lord. And so he begins the plagues by saying, Hoppy ain't so hoppy at all. Okay? Verse 18 taking notes, you can write that down. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. <laughs> Which, right? I mean, have you ever been around dead fish? One? Like, ah, dead fish? It's nasty. Imagine a whole river full of them, right? The fish in the Nile shall die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. I would too. Grow weary? I mean, I, 
absolutely disgusted. And the Lord, verse 19, said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water. Now we see some added pieces. It's not just the Nile. It's all the pools of water so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Now this is interesting. Check this out. Check this out. Why vessels of wood and vessels of stone? Every morning, the Egyptian priests would go out to wash their idols. Sounds like a fun job, doesn't it? Oh, look, guys, another day we get to wash our idols. Okay. So what are they going to be washing with? You guys see what I'm saying? They show up expecting there to be some nice clear liquid, some good water to again wash their idols because their idols apparently need to be washed. Right? And what are they going to find? They're going to find blood. The reminder again from God to them that their idols don't mean a thing. Is anyone else happy, encouraged, joyful that your God doesn't need to be washed, that he is as pure as pure can be? Isn't it awesome that our God is infallible? He has never made a mistake. He has never sinned. He has never gone against his word. He's never lied. He's never deceived. Our God doesn't need to be washed clean. He already is clean. Are we together tonight, okay? So this image of in the morning, look, these guys are going to try to wash their wood and vessels, but they're going to be washing it with blood. So verse 20, Moses and Aaron what? Moses and Aaron what? Come on. Did as the Lord commanded. Remember, we saw this last week. Pure obedience. Massive shift. Don't you think you'd struggle with this a little bit? Like if you're Moses, don't you think you'd be like, uh, are you sure it's necessary? Right? Like blood, water to blood, God? Like can't we do something a little bit less weird, you know? Um, Don't you think there would be some rebuttal here? But there's not. Every logical piece would say this deserves rebutting. God, are you sure? I don't think this is a good choice, God. But they did. The scripture says, just as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up his staff. That's huge. Okay? In other words, Pharaoh just isn't sitting on his throne and all of a sudden the water turns to blood. In the sight of Pharaoh, the staff is raised to connect these prophets, these mouthpieces of God, with God's action. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, verse 20 said, he lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile. And I, I kind of just having fun a little bit. I kind of, <laughs> though I know like Ten Commandments, like, you know, this one-handed. Wouldn't it be hilarious if it was like a golf swing, you know what I mean? Like Moses, Aaron get up to the Nile and all of a sudden like, you know, whop, this whole thing turns to, funny to me. Um, <laughs> they struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile, the word all there means all, all the water in the Nile turned to blood. And the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. I'm not a big fisherman. I'm not a big outdoorsman. But I did go on one trip with my dad to Canada. Any of you guys ever been to Canada before? Yeah. Really interesting place. Um, And I know we have some Canadians here. So God love you for the most part. Um, so I go to, I'm not a big fisherman at all. I, I, don't, I don't have the, you guys know me, I'm not patient in the least. I mean, I have the, so fishing is not my forte. I mean, if I haven't caught a great white in like 30 seconds out of a lake, I'm frustrated. So um, we're going fishing. And funny thing is, in Canada, there is a plethora 
of fish. And I mean, I'm slaying it all of a sudden. Like, you know, like city slicker, non-fisherman. I mean, I'm not taking the fish off my hook, but I'm catching them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm putting them out. Anyone else with me? Like, you don't, you don't like touching them fish? I'll touch the fish, but I got to have like six gloves on, you know? Like, those things are nasty, man. That slime stuff stays on your fingernails for weeks. Anyway, so at night, we would like pull all of these fish together. And, and, you know, so they're all just, just fish carcasses laying right there. And then, then they're all like, all right, so now we're going to eat this. And I remember thinking to myself, listen, I like fish, but right now what it smells like is absolute death, you know? This is the worst stench I've ever smelled before, and that was just from a few fish. Okay. So just imagine being random Egyptian, and all of a sudden your water turns to blood. All of the fish die, rise to the surface. Can you just begin for a second to imagine the smell? Right? Some of you college dudes, take a whiff of your socks, precisely the point. Okay. Verse 22. But, this gets interesting now. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. Oh dear. Remember this last week? The Egyptian secret artists, the magicians, throw down their staffs and it becomes a serpent. Unfortunately, God's serpent swallows theirs. And so now the Bible says that that they actually do this same thing with all the water in the Nile and all the water. Like, where are they getting this water? And, and how did they do this? And is it demonic like I proposed last week? Well, I think it could be many different things. But this next text shows us where they got their water. Um, uh, at the end of verse 23, I'm just going to skip ahead. Uh, stay where you are on the slide. It says, for they could not drink, so they had to dig along the Nile for water. So apparently, like, in digging, there was some fresh water. So... It's possible that they found some water and, and either infiltrated it with some of the blood or, or still finding water, the power of Satan, the occult, shows its ugly head here again. But either way, these magicians replicate. By the way, out of ten plagues, they replicate two. And isn't it interesting to know that these magicians can only replicate that they can't reverse? Isn't that interesting? It's not like all of a sudden, like with their magic, they're like, nope, now you're water again. Can't do that. Okay? They can't reverse. Listen, they can't reverse what God has done. I just, I, I just could say that all night. They cannot reverse what God's done. That exact same word about he will not forsake us is because no man... And not even you yourself can reverse what God has done. You can't break a covenant you didn't start. It's the power of God, the power of being his kids. So look at, look at what happens here. Because of this, in the middle of verse 22, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said, right? His magicians do the same thing, or at least he hears of it. So he's like, my magicians can do the same thing. I'm not worried about all this water-to-blood stuff. So his heart remains hard. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did, not even, uh, he did not even take this to heart. In other words, he's not even bothered by it. If you were the leader of a land and all the water just turned to blood, don't you think you'd lose a little sleep? He is so hard in his heart, so pompous, so arrogant, it's not even bothering him. Which is what? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Come on, think about it. 
It means that his people are suffering and the suffering of his people doesn't bother him because he's more interested in his agenda. Come on, right? He's more interested in his power in who he is and his magicians and his God system, but his people are suffering. They're going without water. His animals are dying. They can't drink. The fish have died. His people are suffering, and he doesn't even take heart. There's not an ounce of compassion. There's not an ounce of love. That's what I've learned about other religions and other God systems and other kingdoms. As though our God sits on the throne somehow, right? He is compassionate to the people. He's intimate with the people. He cares about the people. And I know some of you guys feel distant from that God, but I'm saying this is the tale of two different forms of leadership. One says, I want to make my name great, and so because of that, I don't care about all y'all. And our God says, I will make my name great, and I will use all of you all to do that. I will show my glory by saving you and pulling you out and redeeming your heart and giving you life and making you the mouthpiece to a lost and dying world. You see the different form of leadership. The question is, what do you want to follow? The servant leader or the pompous, arrogant pharaoh. And all the Egyptians, verse 24, dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink from the water of the Nile. Look at verse 25. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Seven days of this. All right, so get out your plague chart. Let's answer some more questions, shall we? Okay. What was Pharaoh's reaction? Right? He didn't take it to heart. He didn't care. No compassion, doesn't care about the people. You can phrase that however you, however you want. I realize it's going to take some small handwriting, okay? That's the only way to do this. So fill this in as you were. Next question. What was the, resu- what was the result? The result of this plague, fish died, Nile stunk, and it was blood for seven days. Lasted seven days. Now, the most important statement of all of this, the most important question of all of this is next. What does this plague reveal about God? Well, there could be many answers, and I'm sure you have your own thoughts. Here at Matthias, we have um, made very clear what our view of God is. It's interesting, in a culture that um, is dominated by theological uh, speech, a lot of people use a lot of different terms that I don't find in the Bible at all. A lot of people use a lot of things, hey, this is our theological viewpoint, and here's what we... For us at Matthias, we want to stick to what the Bible says about who God is, Okay? Not what man said God is, not what this person thought God is, not what Oprah thinks God is. We want to stick to what the Bible says about the Lord. So what this shows us about God is the exact thing that we believe here about God, and that is this. God's will by God's power for God's glory. God's will. You disobeyed, so my wrath will come. Water to blood. By my power. Clearly, it was God who did it. Moses and Aaron, good people, nice guys, right? But they don't have enough power, enough gumption, enough force. They, they aren't even close to being able to make all of this water blood. God accomplished his will by his power and for what? For his glory alone. And you're like, whoa, whoa, how does he get glory from this? Pharaoh's heart 
stays hard. He goes back inside. He doesn't even care. Um, God's glory is God's glory. And this plague is just one piece of this overarching puzzle. So the last question on there is, what's your response? Some of you are like, uh, don't drink bloody water? I, I, don't, I don't know. Man, um, there is so much on my heart on this issue, on this question. And I, I just want you to spend a moment just thinking about your own. Okay, one plague in, one of ten. One more to go tonight. What do you walk away or what do you sit there wrestling with? How does this affect your life, a plague hundreds and hundreds of years ago? Let's move on. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Don't you love how God's command of Moses stays consistent and the message stays consistent? Let's go again. Let my people go. But, verse 2, if you, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will, I will plague all your country with frogs. Right? Does anyone else get an image of God, like, sitting on his throne in heaven with, like, the wheel of fortune, wheel of plagues, you know? He's like, hmm. Kind of get it, you know? Right? Frogs. Of all, of all things, of all rodents, are they a rodent? Of all amphibians, are they amphibians? Dude, come on. That's exciting. One for ten ain't bad, right? So why, why frogs? All of a sudden, massive infiltration on your country in frogs. How many of you guys have ever had a pet frog? All right. Okay, a few of you guys. Seriously? All right. How was that? How'd that go? He got lost in the house. Why did you let him out of his cage? Okay. All right. Has anyone ever been, were you ever bit by the frog? Okay. Just wondering. I never have either. Now, verse 3. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house. And look at, look at what the writer says. And into your bedroom. And on your bed. Right? They're not just going to stay on the ground. Don't you love that? <laughs> The specific nature of this. And into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens. Right. And your kneading bowls. <laughs> uh, hide your kids and hide your wife, right? Like, I mean, that's the, that's the point of all this, right? Like, I mean, be, frog, be frogs everywhere, right? <laughs> but hold, it's... It's, it's kind of funny, but when you start thinking about this, this is crazy. So question is why? Cue the picture. Hakit, okay? Hakit, the goddess of fertility. And it just so happens that the goddess of fertility in Egypt has the head of a frog. The body of a female and some random staff, okay? Well, frogs in Egyptian culture were a amphibian of royalty. Frogs represented 
the giving of life. Frogs were a very, very special thing. Also the snake. So, so far what's happened? A pharaoh's snake has been swallowed, the staff, by Aaron and Moses. And now all of a sudden there's going to be a massive infiltration of frogs which are dear to the Egyptians. And now all of a sudden something that's dear to them is going to be a huge pain. Okay? So let's answer these first two questions here. The next plague two. What was second plague? Frogs everywhere. Okay? You can put hide your kids, hide your wife if you want, in parentheses, whatever. Uh, next question. Why did God choose that specific uh, plague? The frog, Hecate, was a symbol of divine power. So my guess is, is that there would be some initial confusion for all the people of why their land was instantly just overwhelmed with frogs. Well, here's what verse 4 says. Let's watch this play out. <laughs> the frogs shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. They're going to be aggressive. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come, out, uh, come up on the land of Egypt. So, verse 6, Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Listen, I know there are certain times in the Bible where you're just like, cannot be true. Isn't this one of them? One of the most obscure things ever, right? A bunch of frogs going crazy in the land. I just do your best in this moment just to get a picture of it in your mind. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, I know what I feel about the Egyptians and the snake, or the, the magicians and the snakes. Um, I'm torn on the magicians and the water to blood. On this one, I think it's pretty clear, right? There's frogs everywhere. So for a magician to be like, oh, look, there's a frog, you know, that just came out of my cloak, you know? Well, yeah, there, there's frogs everywhere, okay? So I, I do think, though it's a bit of an assumption because we don't have biblical evidence that in this case, there's just frogs everywhere and the magician's like, oh, I made those three, okay? Um, <laughs> Verse 8 gets super interesting. Check this out. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron. He got a call back first time and said, plead with the, what's that? The Lord. What have I told you about capitalized Lord in the Old Testament? Yahweh, yod Heid vad Heid. Remember in chapter 5 when Pharaoh says that he didn't even know who Yahweh was? So one has to ask, is he getting at least a little bit of a picture here? Or does he have an agenda? Is he a shrewd ruler? He calls him Yahweh, plead with Yahweh, the Lord, to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. A little bit of compassion on his people, it seems. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. So what is Moses saying? You say the word. And I will plead on your behalf and we'll send those frogs back to where they came from, the Nile River. And so Pharaoh responds, verse 10, tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the God our Lord, or the Lord our God, rather. 
Now, uh, if you think about it, if you stop and pause, is it greater that all of these frogs could be produced, or is it greater that at one time they could all be killed? What's the greater act? Isn't it interesting that in this moment we're getting ready to see the onslaught of frogs completely annihilated in one fell swoop? So here's what happens. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses, verse 11, and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile, verse 12. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. Moses now, on behalf of the pagan man, says, God, listen, you've got to take the frogs away. We might have a deal here with Pharaoh. Maybe he's relenting. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. Just imagine that for a second. Frogs everywhere, and then all the, like PETA's got a massive case on their hands, right? Is PETA the animal rights people? What would they have to say about this? You know what I'm saying? Like just massive frog death everywhere. But seriously, you have thousands upon thousands of frogs that just in an instant are killed. And they gathered them, verse 14, together in, he- in heaps. And we have a running theme here. And the, and the land stank. Right? So a, a, an interesting shift has happened as well now. The people now have to work. The Egyptians. Okay? So God kills all these frogs. All the frogs die wherever they're at. And now all the people, instead of living amidst dead frog everywhere, they put them in piles. So they have to work. They have to go out and look at the wrath of God and now take action in light of that. Verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite or a, a halt, a, a, a grace, a mercy as it were, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Before we answer the rest of the questions, uh, I want to ask you guys. You get caught in sin. You find yourself trapped. Okay? Addiction, massive struggle, massive deceit, whatever it is. And you get worried that you're going to get found out. You get worried that all of a sudden that sin is going to go public or that the person that you've wronged is going to find out about it or that the person you gossiped about is going to get back to them. And you get really interested all of a sudden. You get on your toes, don't you? All of a sudden you are pleading for mercy. All of a sudden you, you find yourself like really, really interested in all the happenings around you. You're making sure that the conversations are going correctly over here because you don't want... And then as time goes along, what happens? If that sin was unrepentant, the mercy that you received in potentially not being found out, what happens? Right? The heart gets hard again. The heart finds itself taking mercy and grace and saying, I know that Scripture says, I shall not go on sinning so grace may increase, but because I didn't get found out, then so be it. That's Pharaoh. All of a sudden, he watches the frogs die and he's like, oh, good. And doesn't have a moment to think that maybe God could do something else. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Let's answer some more questions here from the plague chart. What was Pharaoh's reaction? In this case, he asked Moses and Aaron to plead to Yahweh. You go and you pray to your God. You pray to your God. You plead 
to the Lord. Calls him Yahweh, calls him God. Amidst all the other gods in his land. Next question. What was the result? Frogs died and the people gathered them in heaps and the, the land, even though the scriptures said stank. Uh, I chose the word stunk here. I'm not sure which is the right uh, language way of saying it. But the land was smelly, okay? Now, one thing that I want you guys to do with this as we're filling this out is bring it back next week. We're going to spend several weeks in the plagues. So put this in your Bible. Bring it with you. Put it in your pocket, okay? Good chance about only 20% will actually do that next week, but I'm encouraging you nonetheless, all right? Last question is this. What does this plague reveal about God? So we thought long and hard about this as a staff. I've prayed over this, and this is what I can come up with. God's will by God's power for God's glory. God is accomplishing his will by his power alone for his glory alone. It shows us, does this plague again, that God is in control. Now, let's say you and a friend are having a conversation. And that friend says, hey, do you believe God is wrathful? How would you answer that question? That friend said, hey, hey, do you think God has wrath in him? I mean, I know all you Christians say all the time that God is love, but, but, God, but, but does God have wrath? For me, as I walk away from these first two plagues, I personally have one response. In Revelation chapter 16, the scripture says this. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people. This is at the end. And the subtitle in Revelation chapter 16 being the wrath of God. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Just so we're all clear, the angel from God went and poured out his bowl of wrath on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon who? The people who bore the mark of the beast. The, The people who were idolaters. The people who said, you know what, God, we're really not interested in you. The people who denied the existence of God. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of what? Of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. So the second image of wrath is the exact image that we've seen tonight in the plagues. And fourth verse, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Isn't it interesting to anyone else that the first two plagues all of a sudden show up in Revelation 16 talking about the end of the wrath of God? Is it possible that a huge piece of the plagues in Exodus are showing us just a glimpse of God's wrath? Isn't it interesting that hundreds and now thousands of years since that event, we're still waiting for this wrath to be poured out? So as I looked at that question on the chart, what's my response? How do I respond? What do I say? What does this mean for my heart? You know what I say? I say, praise God that there's an escape from wrath. Listen, we are 100% deserving. 
of being corpses in a bloody river that's been poured out from God's wrath. And that's real talk, friends. We don't deserve anything. We have only been born in a, in a heart and with a heart that's denying the very existence and premise of God. But, the scripture says that our sins were propitiated on Christ. Or rather, Jesus took the wrath of God for us. This wrath. God's anger towards sin. God's anger towards everything that goes against who he is. Jesus shed blood, took on the wrath, so that you could stand here today and say, my God will not forsake me. My God, yes, is a wrathful God, but I will get to experience his love in glory forever. And so I'm just here to say tonight to those of you who walk in here either with a disconnected view of his wrath or not believing it's real at all or not believing he's real at all, let me say this. Our God is real. And because our God is real, his love is real. And because his love is real, his wrath is real. And because his wrath is real and your sin is real, that means you need him to be real in your life. And I'm telling you, my friends, for those that have walked away time after time saying, no, not today, never Jesus, I don't want anything to do with that, I'm tired of bondage and I don't want any more. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so I'm just saying today, those of us, all of us, born as children of wrath, in Christ, become sons and daughters of God. And so every week, every week that we study the plagues, we're going to respond at some point with doxology. And you know what doxology says? It says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. There is no other source of life. There's no other Nile. There's no other well. So God, praise your name that we've been saved from your wrath in Christ. Praise your name that we've been given a chance to receive grace on this earth. So church, let's stand. And in our standing tonight, let's respond. Let's respond to this image of who God is by saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. There is no one else. Lord, please Hear our genuine cry of response tonight and give us a deepened knowledge and understanding of the wrath that we've been saved from in Christ. Come on, let's shout this out tonight, church. Come on.